Good, beautiful, actually, maybe even too beautiful, too hot. Good Sunday morning. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, I am off to a late start this morning. You are rigged currently to my Tahoe contraption, my podcasting contraption, so that I can record this while driving out to work. So this podcast will be roughly the length of the time it takes me to drive from Brighton, New York to uh, Bergen, New York. It is a couple of minutes after 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, off to a bit of a late start this morning. My wife is at a four-day bachelorette party right now uh, in Lewis, Delaware, of all places, which I've come to learn in the last week is a hip place to go because I, I didn't really know anything about Delaware. You know, I didn't know much. And, and then my wife gets invited to, or I shouldn't say gets invited, well, yeah, gets invited to, I guess, bachelorette party, one of her best friends growing up, um, who happens to live in Delaware now. And, of course, the bachelorette party is going to be at this beach town called Lewis, Delaware. And for the week, I made a couple of jokes about, like, Delaware, you know, <laughs> going to Delaware, huh? And uh, I was corrected, like several times this week by people who went Delaware's beautiful dude Delaware's fantastic like think about the Jersey Shore you know there's some Virginia Beach in there you've got uh, uh, North Carolina South Carolina everybody goes there Georgia of course and then finally Florida where everybody goes but to, to most people and several people made this point to me but then you got Delaware that nobody thinks of affordable little Delaware sitting there with this beautiful beachfront property and in fact that's where she's staying uh, with a group of girls at an Airbnb where when they go down their back steps they leave the back door of their house and go down the steps their feet are in the sand and you know look Delaware in February maybe not Delaware in beautiful summer June early summer here sure And like I said, way more affordable than all those other places I named. So she's there right now having a fun little four-day bachelorette party. Today being Sunday, though, is the day she comes home. So we are looking forward to that. Poor little Leo has been missing his mommy very much. Um, Very lucky to have a fantastic mother-in-law. My uh, mother-in-law and I have kind of split the time. I... I know that probably sounds bad. I work a lot. It Trust me, it's my demon that I think about a lot. Am I am I away too much because you know, I took advantage of having my mother-in-law really volunteering to pitch in. And so Thursday, I just said I was going to work all day. Friday, I kind of split in half. I said, well, I'm going to work the morning Friday. Friday, I went and picked him up. And I want to tell you what we did because we had so much fun. But then Saturday, I spent about half the day with him as well. And I'll tell you what we did there because we had so much fun. And then I dropped him off sort of last night at my mother-in-law's. And now today, I'm back to work, right? And... Um, last night, he didn't want to stay at my mother-in-law's. And you have to understand the dynamic. He loves his grandmother. He loves my mother-in-law. So I felt like such a terrible father, you know, not just let it. He came, like, as I was leaving, he's saying, I want to come with you, daddy. I want to come home with you, daddy. And I'm just like, oh, oh, God, what a bad, you know. But, but to put in context, I was a pretty badass dad for a couple of days there. I mean, we literally were nonstop. Like, I picked him up on Friday at 1 o'clock, and we went straight to Seabreeze. And he is at 
such a fun age right now because he loves is starting to love some of the rides that I love too. So like the the thing that we did for the first time ever, we almost did this last year, but he chickened out. But the log boat ride where you go up a hill and then down really fast and splash into the water. So he did that. And I was surprised that he did that because I, I again, last year he chickened out. But, you know, he's getting older. He's a year older. He's, he's braver. So we did the log boat ride. And uh, and I, I was having a lot of fun with that, too. You know, like a lot of times I'm just standing there like on the kiddie rides. It's mostly me standing watching him go on these rides. But then, um, you know, I have such a good time, like being able to go on a few of these rides so we do the the log boat ride we do three times we did bumper cars which of course are fun it's just a blast from the past merry-go-round we do the hot air balloons which go up in the air and these are all things i can do with him and then of course he still does all the stuff that he does on his own but there is just a thrill that i get as a parent as a dad watching this little man be so excited he can't contain it like we are in Seabreeze, right? And he's going ride to ride. And by the way, you couldn't have asked for a better time to go to Seabreeze. This is probably 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Friday. And it was kind of, if you remember Friday's weather, it was kind of gray skies. Now, here's a hint for you. And I learned this when I was a senior in high school. If you can go to an amusement park on a day with gray skies, man, oh man, can you have that place to yourself. I was a senior in high school and our senior trip was to Cedar Point. Remember, I grew up in Ohio. And Cedar Point is always packed. I mean, Cedar Point is notorious for, like, the shortest lines are 45 minutes. And some of the big coasters you can sometimes wait three hours for. Well, we went to Cedar Point on a day that was supposed to be thunderstorms. And we got so lucky that what we got was gray skies, the occasional sprinkle, but never got any thunder or lightning because they will shut that shit down if you get thunder and lightning. But we got just the occasional sprinkle. But why we got so lucky is because nobody else came. We had Cedar Point like to ourselves on this one random Monday in early June in the year 2001. It was like there were the lines were, were almost non-existent. That's what Seabreeze was like on Friday. Because it was gray skies kind of impending doom of rain which by the way never really did rain we had that same exact experience leo and and i basically didn't wait in any lines i think the absolute longest line we waited in the entire time we were there friday from two o'clock until about six o'clock the longest line we ever waited in was maybe one turn maybe you had to watch the ride one time and then you were on the next one that's remarkable and it's honestly something i'm going to tell my wife about too because I think she's going to take them a couple times this summer is like, uh, Hey, you know, go in the afternoon and see if you can find a day that's cloudy. <laughs> it's great. It was really great. So then that's Saturday night, right? Then on our way home, I said, what do you want to eat for dinner? He says McDonald's. I say, okay. So again, flat out, I'm literally just giving him anything he wants. So no wonder he didn't want to stay at his mother and uh, my mother-in-law's right. We make we come home, we eat McDonald's. We watch a movie it's bedtime. He says, I don't want to go to bed. I said, okay, how about this? You go sleep in daddy's bed and I'll put your movie on in daddy's bedroom. He says, okay. I tuck him in. I give him a bath. I tuck him in. Five minutes later, he's out. Next day, wake up. What do you want to do, buddy? I don't know. Want to go to Seabreeze again? Yeah. Okay. 
what about something else? You want to go to Chuck E. Cheese? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I name a couple other things. Finally, we land on what we end up doing. Chuck E. Cheese. We go to Chuck E. Cheese. This little boy's never been to Chuck E. Cheese. This little boy's mother, not a huge Chuck E. Cheese fan. Uh, so, you know, no mommy means daddy rules means let's do Chuck E. Cheese. So we had a Chuck E. Cheese, which, by the way, is expensive. Chuck E. Cheese, oh, my God. I think I dropped 100 bucks in Chuck E. Cheese. I think he, I think, I'm trying to think exactly. Now, we did bring a friend. So there was a second child for whom I was responsible financially. But I want to say we dropped, I dropped a good $100 inside of Chuck E. Cheese in Greece on Saturday morning. <laughs> I'm sorry, on, uh, yeah, no, Saturday morning between, what, 10 a.m. and, like, noon. I mean, it goes by fast. But it's cool. They do the, uh, I remember when I was a kid, you had to go buy tokens over and over and over. Maybe they did all-you-can-play when I was a kid, and my parents just never got it for me. But I just did the all-you-can-play for an hour, and then, and then we ate lunch at the end of the hour, and it seemed like the right way to go. Uh, but all-you-can-play at Chuck E. Cheese, not too expensive, right? 26 bucks for one hour of all-you-can-play. And that was for two kids. I, had, I was in 52 bucks. Then lunch, of course, you got to get pizza. So we got a couple of personal pizzas and a little appetizer sampler. And the three of us chowed. And yeah, I was in, in, in it for about 100 bucks. But then at the end, too, though, the cool thing they have kind of kept alive is the arcade aspect of Chuck E. Cheese, which is, you know, then you go over to the counter and you've, you've earned some tickets and now you're going to use your tickets and win a prize. And um, So that's, like, thrilling to Leo. He just loves the fact that he's going to win a prize. So then I take him to my mother-in-law's and he doesn't want to go to my mother-in-law's. And my mother-in-law, by the way, is not happy about this because she's like, what are you talking about? I'm grandma. You love grandma. So she starts bribing him right back. I'm going to do ice cream sundaes tonight. <laughs> And and at this point, I'm going. Look, I I gotta work tomorrow. I I can't. I, and I look at him. I go. I can't compete with ice cream sundays. Meanwhile, I could have totally competed with ice cream sundays. All right. I'm trying to think. What did I end up doing? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on a second. I'll tell you exactly what I did. Now you might say this isn't as good as ice cream sundays, but again, this was me being lazy. I could have razzled and dazzled a bit, but on my way from Fairport back to my house in Brighton. Stopped at Leo's Bakery, picked up a couple nice little brownies. Which, by the way, fun fact, in case you didn't listen to that episode of the podcast, when I talked to wonderful entrepreneur Pat Bernunzio, owner of Leo's Bakery, I said, uh, Pat, your name is Pat Bernunzio, this is Leo's Bakery, who was Leo? And he said the original founder of the bakery was Leo Balta. And I said, wow, cool. Uh, But Pat, you're a professional baker, you've had many bakeries in your life. The recipes for all of the wonderful desserts here at Leo's Bakery, are they yours or are they Leo Balta's? And he said, they are mine. Almost everything here is mine with one exception. I said, ooh, what's the exception? And he said, the one exception is the brownies. The one place I never felt I could top Leo was his original brownies recipe. And so we just kept his brownies recipe. And so when I go in there, I don't know why I buy brownies. That's not to say I don't love everything Pat makes. Pat's a phenomenal baker, and all his recipes are fantastic. But those original Leo Balta brownies, I just find something cool about that story, that that's the one, like, sort of surviving thing from the original Leos. So speaking of entrepreneurship, last night after I got home uh, from dropping off Leo at his grandma's house, I'm watching TV, and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, and I watched the season two of The Bear, and I kind of binged it. Because, again, I had three, four hours in myself. I said, I'm going to compartmentalize this whole weekend. 
I'm going to spend my whole day Sunday working. I'm going to spend my whole evening here Saturday, I said, not working. So I'm going to do everything opposite of working. I'm just going to watch TV and play on my phone. That's all I'm going to do. And I did, and it was wonderful. But as I'm watching, I'm watching uh, The Bear on Hulu, which I highly suggest, especially if you've ever worked in a restaurant. It's probably the closest thing I've ever seen to a realistic depiction of what it's like to work in a restaurant. It is, of course, it is very highly dramatized. And there's there's even more yelling and sort of like toxicity than what I've experienced. And I, and I feel I worked in some pretty toxic kitchens in college. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it's a TV show, so it has to be dramatized, of course. But it is the closest, I would say, to realistic. But anyway, in this show, they are, it's season two, so I don't want to spoil anything from season one by telling you what they're up to in season two. But in season two, spoiler alert, they are opening a new restaurant. And, uh, you know, you get a lot of peeks at what early stage entrepreneurship is like. And it reminded me of a conversation I had recently with a guy named Brad Treat from Cornell University. He's a professor there. And he's heavily involved in Grow New York. And since we were a winner, or as I like to say, first loser at Grow New York this year, uh, I have been assigned a coach, a mentor, for a year to kind of see us through, you know, doing our plans that we laid out at Grow New York. And so... um. I mentioned something to Brad Treat once that he wrote down and said he loved that phrase, and I was really excited that I kind of got to throw a phrase at him, and I didn't make this phrase up either, I can't take credit for this, but I used the phrase second stage entrepreneurship, and he says, how do you define that? And I said, I define that as putting the right people and processes in place for your business to be able to run itself while you work on growing it, and that that's where I felt that I was in my entrepreneurial sort of uh, uh, adventure at this time. And he agreed and he loved that and everything. And it got me thinking last night while I'm watching these guys opening a restaurant and it's a really good depiction of entrepreneurship because they, they are really getting into the details of, you know, the stuff that you don't think about. Because a lot of people think I'm going to start a business and I'm going to sell this thing and I'm so good at making this thing and, and I'll just make the thing and people will buy the thing and that's business, right? Well, it's not as simple as that. There's a lot of little details like, for example, in the show, they're having a hard time getting their fire suppression system passed by the New York City Health Department. And, you know, that might you might be like, wow, riveting TV, Polly. But I don't know. I found it interesting. Well, I dealt with a lot of that stuff. We still deal with a lot of that stuff. I'm in audit season right now, which means any day an auditor from a company called AIB will come by and give us what's called an SQF audit. Safe Quality Food, SQF. And uh, it's a two-month window, surprise audit window. And, uh, you know, it, that that's what that's like. It's, it's, uh, it's, detail. it's the details. And I am honestly thankful for this system, this SQF system, because it really helped us put processes in place that I don't know if I would have thought of without the SQF system. So as much as it is tough to go through an audit, it's a two-day thing, it's, it's mentally draining, it's very long... They tend to be long days, 8, 10. We've even seen 12-hour days with this particular auditor. And, yes, you do have the same auditor for three years in a row. This will be our third year with this guy. He's, he's kept us there tw- uh, close to 12 hours before, so it's not unheard of. And that's long. You know, mentally, that's pretty draining. Well, uh, at the same time that that's tough, it, it, you know, passing this audit sort of forces you to have processes in place that are vital to running a business and 
quite frankly, second stage entrepreneurship. So I'm watching this show last night and I'm thinking, what are the stages of entrepreneurship? And I don't know if I did this well. I don't know. You might hear what I'm about to say because I've written them. And you might say, Paulie, you missed one, or that's not accurate, or but here is what I've experienced, and this is difficult because I've only experienced a few of these steps, but I came up with seven steps. I tried to, I was getting close to 10 at one point, and then I was like, some of these are kind of one step, and so here's what I have. The seven stages of entrepreneurship are the idea, it's pretty self-explanatory, right? This is your light bulb moment. This is when you think, I think I know something that people would pay me for. Whether it's I have this ability to make this thing or I have this ability to perform this service. I have a thing that I think people would pay for. And that generates, and, and really stage one is just the excitement generated by the fantasies that you have around the idea of starting this business. Stage one is just excitement. Fantasizing and excitement. And it's a fun, fun time. Stage two is right after that, I call it startup. This is everything that goes from day one of actually being in business. You've planted your flag. You've hung your shingle. Your thing is now for sale. This is called startup. Almost dropped my uh, rig here. Hold on a second. Let me retighten that. Okay. Uh, Startup. Startup is just that early, really, really early. So this is everything that comes after day one. So, right, the idea is everything that comes before day one. You know, your fire suppression system test. (laughs) All your paperwork, your legal filings, your name, your trademarking, your logo, your pricing model, your business model. All that stuff comes before day one. Day one and beyond is called startup. This is actually physically doing the work now. Now you're making the thing and you are out in the world with it. Now I considered making step two and step three one step because I think they're very close to each other. And also later I think I kind of yada yada through some stuff. But for right now I've got step three as being the next step which is muscling the business slash holy shit. Muscling the business, by the way, shout out to you, Lauren Henry, for teaching me that term a few years ago. Muscling the business is this. You had your idea. You started your business. It is now for sale. And now people are buying it. So this is step three. People are paying you for the thing. It's working. The thing you thought is right. People are willing to pay you for it. And now you got to go out and do it. And demand is increasing. And you got to actually perform whether it's a service or a, or a, or a product you got to have it for them to buy and that can be hard that can be very hard for example I know a guy started a pasta sauce company a lot of people wanted to buy the pasta sauce thank God still thank God every day to this day people wanted to buy the pasta sauce but when you make 120 jars of pasta sauce and you got 121 people who want to buy pasta sauce you got a problem you got to make more pasta sauce. And there's nobody that's going to do it other than you. So you got to make everything happen yourself, I would say. Muscling the business is this. you got to make everything happen by yourself. You are in charge. You and you alone of making sure that this stuff actually happens. And then the holy shit side of this is that part of you that every once in a while when you stop to catch your breath, 
you go, holy shit, this is working. This is really working. And you're going to build and build and build, muscling it yourself for as long as you possibly can until you get to step four, which very confusingly I have named stage two entrepreneurship. (laughs) Because I think everything I just said is either one or two steps, really, but I stretched it out. We've already talked. What is stage two entrepreneurship? We already talked about this. This is, you have built this thing. It is now too big for you to do yourself. It is literally impossible at this point for you to do everything yourself. That is no longer an option. You will fail if you consider if you continue trying to do everything yourself. So stage two entrepreneurship is simply, can you put the right people and the right processes in place for your business to be able to continue to function, not only function, but grow while you now allocate your time to making it grow? Does that make sense? Right. I guess the the only way I can really do this is is to use my own experience. But it's it's a it's a spaghetti sauce factory. You know, it used to be you doing everything. Now you've got a factory and a team of people and a set of processes that they're following every day to make the pasta sauce, while you are out in the world trying to find more opportunities for the sauce to to uh, you know see success, have sales and things like that. And again, this isn't all about me, but I'm just, that's, you know, been my experience with stage two entrepreneurship, which is, I think, really where I'm at. Maybe, maybe teetering on the next step. I think I'm still sitting in stage two, quite frankly, getting the right people and processes in line. But I feel like the next step, I can see it on the horizon. I know it's coming. I'm catching sniffs of it already. But it's, I don't think I'm fully in it yet. And that is something I've nicknamed thrive, survive, or nosedive. Because now you're being punched from above and below. Because here's the thing. If you've done it to this point and you've been successful, you probably have some pretty fierce competition at this point. Because if you've been successful doing it, you've made enough money to get to this point other people are going to see that and try to seize on that same opportunity. And so thrive, survive, or nosedive is simply, what are you going to do with this thing? Are you going to continue to grow it? Or are you going to try and just pick a spot and sit in it? That would be survive, right? Continuing to grow it would be thrive. Pick a spot, sit there, and just kind of say, this is my spot now. This is my annual revenue expectation This is what I expect to do year in, year out. That would be survive. And then nosedive would be, are you going to allow your competitors, whether they be the ones coming from behind you or above you, to uh, expose what might be your weaknesses? And make no mistake, all businesses have weaknesses. Now, you might say, but Polly, you're not supposed to really pay attention to your competition, are you? You know, here's what I have found. Here's what I have found. I pay attention to my competitors who I perceive to be ahead of me. uh, And I want to know what I can do to get to that stage and beyond. Admittedly, I do. I respect those people very much. uh, But also, that's that's where my focus is. That's what I'm paying attention to. I am proud to say, at least with my business, we've grown to the point where we actually have competitors now who are smaller than us. 
which I think is is kind of it's kind of nifty because frankly we were the smallest ones out there at the very beginning and now there's people actually smaller than us um, and I'm aware they exist but I don't really concentrate on what they're up to uh, but I am aware they exist which I think is also important or else you're just going to be ignorant right and it might even be arrogant not to know they exist so thrive survive or nosedive which leads us to the next thing which I have nicknamed scale or fail so this is probably not fair because again I think survive is an option here it is an option to just kind of coast to kind of go straight but I don't know if I'm can't say I can't. I mean, it's everything. There's always time. And by the way, I just pulled into craft cannery, but there's always time and things could always change. But I, I see myself as being someone who's going to try and grow this thing until it's probably bursting at the seams and unable to grow anymore. But with what I see as scale or fail is quite simply, let's get to that next level, which is operating whatever we're doing right now at scale. So let's take those people and processes and absolutely maximize what they're able to put out with those people and processes. So now we're talking about raising capital. We're talking about, um, you know, really just investing the money that is needed so, so often. Most businesses just need a ton of money to be able to scale. And I think that that's where I see is this next stage here where I say scale or fail is sit where you are and allow yourself to be vulnerable to your competitors who are coming up behind you or scale, scale. Go out and get that capital. Go out and get that money and build yourself even bigger than you are right now. Take those people and processes and multiply them. Whether that be, a, uh, you know, in my world, a spaghetti sauce factory, whether that be multiple different bottling lines or whether that be multiple different locations, it really depends on what kind of business we're talking about here. But I think scale or fail is the next thing. And then finally, <laughs> stage seven, succession. And that guy or gal doesn't work here anymore. So succession, maybe the final stage is, what's your out? And you might say, well, I'm not interested in selling my business. Well, no, that's okay. Your out doesn't need to be sell your business. Your out could very well be sell, uh, it could, could be, uh, what do you call it? Uh, hand your business to, to somebody else. Maybe you have a rising star employee who you could appoint the new CEO and you ride off into the sunset as chairman of the board or something. Or simply maybe you're going to be a generational business. Maybe you've got children who you're going to put in place. These are the things that I think are uh, the seven stages. Now, I have a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to this, and I'd be very interested to see what you think. Do you think I got it right? What did I miss? I mean, listen, I think we could pick this apart forever and absolutely find things that I missed here because uh, especially when you get to the later stages, everything that comes after what I called stage two entrepreneurship, we're talking about stuff that I don't personally have experience in yet because I don't think I'm there yet. So I think it's very likely that I missed things there. So anyway, I'd love to hear your feedback on that. One other thing I want you to look out for being that this weekend is the beginning of July. Uh, I just filmed some Country Max commercials and they were the funnest ones I've done yet. I got to ride a horse and buggy. Uh, <laughs> and they gave me the reins to the horses and I've never had that before. And I got to learn about, you know, holding the reins and like how to drive a horse, basically, you know, pull back, they'll go backwards, let loose. They're going to go forwards, drop the reins. Worst thing you could possibly do. They're going to go into a full out sprint. So I thought that was, uh, 
Again, uh, it's really fun. And then I had to jump into a swimming pool, screaming the word cannonball right up until the moment that I hit the water, uh, which meant that I didn't have a chance to go <gasps> before I hit the water. And as soon as I got in the water, I was immediately out of breath. <laughs> so it was a little scary. <laughs> All right. I love you. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll talk next week. Okay.